Welcome to Disruptive Successor, a show for next generation leaders in family businesses and entrepreneurs who want to disrupt the status quo and take their existing business to a whole new level. We all know that what got us here isn't going to get us there. This show will provide inspiration, advice, and resources to help you create massive impact. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Hi, it's Jonathan Goldhill, and welcome back to another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. My guest today is Cody Schneider. He's an entrepreneur and digital marketer based in Denver, Colorado, who left the world of unsexy businesses and industries, including a family-owned business in the medical category that is scaling to sell to private equity. And he did this to create an AI tool that would make it easier for B2B companies to do content marketing. For over a decade, he has helped grow multiple software and SaaS startups focused on marketing automation and content production tools. His background includes experience of both agencies and hypergrowth startups. Cody is now the founder of Swell AI and Draft Horse AI, a content platform that reached 10,000 in monthly recurring revenues in its first month based on pure virality. With a background spanning over a decade in digital marketing and startup growth, he has helped numerous companies achieve rapid growth through data-focused strategies. When not building his own ventures, you'll find Cody exploring remote destinations or on the slopes of Colorado and probably other mountains nearby. Cody, welcome to the show today. John, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here and shout Yeah, you. you know, it's great to be able to bring someone on the show that is going to talk about SaaS, which is software as a service, in case people didn't know what that was, um, but who is also got his other foot in a family business that's scaling and doing really well. And th- that could have been a full-time opportunity for you. And I think what's interesting is that so many young entrepreneurs who see the family business might say, you know, that business is really unsexy. That's not interesting. I want to do something that's interesting. And you've managed to keep a foot in both camps. And so let's start with just kind of roll the clock back to the beginning of your professional career or maybe even involvement with the family business and and tell us your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, high level, I I started out initially in e-commerce and then naturally, like everybody, you end up in B2B because that's where the money is. So I started working at a B2B marketing agency. We mainly worked with companies that, you know, would be fit into that unsexy category. Think like bathtub manufacturers, windows, like plywood, right? Like right. these are all four, uh, Fortune 500 companies, huge names that you would recognize. 
Um, and for them, they were trying to transition into digital. And so that's what my job really was there, uh, was to help define their digital strategy and then build the processes and systems for their teams to actually run internally. Um, so we were kind of a strategy consulting uh, uh, agency that I was at. Um, so from there, I ended up uh, like naturally working with my parents on their company. Uh, mm -hmm. They owned uh, two physical therapy clinics and uh, my mom is, uh, specialized in this type of women's health, physical therapy. That's pretty under service. Um, it's called pelvic floor physical therapy, but long story short, they were looking to expand because they saw like they had wait lists out the door at all their clinics. And so what we ended up doing for them, uh, was building out really a content engine so that they could, uh, like expand the amount of, uh, locations that they had. So in about two years, uh, we took them from, uh, two clinics to seven, uh, within the greater Spokane, Washington area. They're now starting to open up clinics in uh, Boise area and in Seattle. Um, and then also uh, looks like Denver and then uh, Arizona and the Scottsdale areas where what's next. But uh, for them, it was you know pretty straightforward. We were just like, how do we build top of funnel education about this that then sends them to some type of lead magnet that we put them into an email nurture. And I'm happy to go as deep as you want on any of this stuff, but um, from there, we put them into this email nurture that educates them. And then that would end up turning them into patients. Right. And, uh, throughout that process, there was a moment where I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to come and take over that company, but ended up, uh, transitioning into, uh, early stage startups. Um, my background is like with user acquisition. That's what I've kind of have a specialty in is getting, you know, your first thousand customers. That's what mm. I've always uh, kind of done. So, okay. uh, the last company that I worked at, uh, was called Rupa health. Uh, this was a software company in the medical space. Uh, we ended up taking them from a $20 million valuation to $110 million valuation in about, uh, six months. Uh, and that process that we did was we basically built this again, media arm for the company that was, uh, making podcasts, webinars, uh, you know, live classes, courses, et cetera, distributing it to that target audience for free. And then again, building that top of funnel into the marketplace. So yeah, that's kind of the you know, bullet points of it. It sounds genius when it works well. And yeah, I'm sure exactly. there are companies and clients that it doesn't work all that well with. But, 100%. but, but I like the story. And I so where I want to break it down a little bit and understand is, and let's go back to the, the unsexy bathtub, window coverings, whatever those types of, of businesses. And so paint a vision or a picture for a company that's in an industry, could be that, could be a contractor, they're not doing any of this stuff. Why should they think about having a media arm to revolutionize their business? I mean, let's assume that they're a disruptive successor. They're a next generation leader and they're looking at their seven figure, maybe eight figure business and saying, how can we two to 10 X this business. And so this guy, Cody has just come along and he's talking about a media arm for our business. I mean, like, like what's this all about? Is this going to yeah. work? Cause I got to, you know, they got to ask the parents maybe to buy into this and they're from another generation that doesn't understand or know all this stuff, but they're seeing that it's happening and working for some companies. So yeah, kind of totally take us I, through I the architecture a little bit of, or the thinking or whatever. For sure. Yeah. So how I always would talk about it is like, we just want to spend time where your customer is spending time online. Like we want to be there with them developing that relationship. Right. Okay. And the best way and easiest way to do that is making content that entertains that person 
whether that's educational or funny, we always leaned into educational because that was a lot of what the target, you know, customer was interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, so say for example, like you own an HVAC company or uh, like a company that I worked with in the past, they were a medical manufacturing company. So like think hospital beds. Um, and so for them, like what we ended up doing is basically creating, there was kind of two components, but we built all of these landing pages that were educational for their target customer, like for nurse practitioners, right. Or whoever that purchasing person was, mm-hmm. um, and then doing social ads on top of that, to that content. Um, and, uh, really the, the, the goal with this here and like, I think the thing that people get, what we found or what I found that people got hung up on most was like, there's so many things they can do. Right. And it's almost overwhelming, right? It's like being right. at a at a Chinese restaurant looking at a menu and you're like, there's you know a million things that I could choose from. What do I pick? And so what I would always suggest to companies is like pick two things, like whether that be like, hey, we're just gonna run Facebook ads mm-hmm. and like make ebooks that people can download, right? And then do email marketing to them. Right. And then just do those two things, you know, it, it, in perpetuity for years. And those, you know, two channels alone can make massive impact to a business. So, you know, taking a step back to uh, uh, like some of these you know, <laughs> traditional companies, like that's exactly what we did. So like this Bata manufacturer, we ended up making all this content on Pinterest, like how to read it, uh, uh, basically like redesign your your bathroom, right? Like you're mm-hmm. basically like do a rebuild. Mm-hmm. And so we made all of this content and then we sent them uh, or sorry, made all of these Pinterest pins. We right. then um, wrote blog posts that like talk through like the different styles and different ways you could do that. And then had an ebook that was like a checklist on here's what you should do. Uh, you know, you're, when you're talking to a contractor, et cetera, here's how you like find the right products for your rebuild. And that creates this funnel that again, we ran those ads that paid ad spend. Um, from and you did it just to- locally also so that it would yep, just, just did it so just the money locally. would just be hyper local exactly their- exactly yeah right. so whatever their geographies were in that we were trying to do right uh that's where we'd focus those ads that turns into these ebook downloads and then that turns into an email nurture campaign that's educating them further and then again they're going in you know people mm-hmm. buying <laughs> bathtubs or shower right. bases etc right. so um Interesting. And so the company that you spoke about earlier that went from, I think you said a 20 to a hundred or $110 million valuation, was that just building the the customer or getting a monthly recurring revenue stream out of subscriptions from customers? I mean, what drove that valuation so significantly? Because that's got to be a compelling testimonial. Uh, you know, if someone's thinking about this and thinking as a reference base, like, wow, 5x the value of my business but what does that mean i mean i don't know if i could handle 5x the volume so couldn't. I, I could tell you that um <laughs> i mean we went from i was employee six and we went to i think it was 70 employees in 12 months mm. um so just wow. you know the laws of physics of the business were breaking <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah, so a co- you know, a couple things there. It totally different world because it's venture uh, capital backed, right? So like right. your goal is get as big as you can as fast as you can, and you basically are deploying you know all this capital that they give you to do that. Yeah. Um. So you know, just to frame this this kind of conversation, but uh, what we did there is we we saw that word of mouth was happening already, and this is actually why I ended up joining that company. My friend was working there, and he's like, "Yo, let me show you this. It's crazy." And so, mm-hmm. um. Typically, when you see that word of mouth, that's just kind of naturally like that growth is happening, whether it's like one or two percent a month. Um, that means by just layering on marketing on top of that, uh, you can 
typically make that company like just start to excel way faster. So the first thing we did is we spun up ads across all uh, all channels that are, again, uh, target customers spent time online. So we found that to be Google ads, Facebook ads, um, and really that was it. We then pixeled them across all social media channels. What a pixel is, is it's basically a piece of code that tracks that user so that when they hit your website, you can then show ads to them again in the future on whatever channel. So we had Google, uh, we had the Google pixel, Facebook pixel, uh, the Pinterest pixel, uh, the LinkedIn pixel, uh, Twitter pixel, et cetera, anywhere that they right. would be spending time online. And we ran ads uh, to all those people that were get- we were getting in the top of funnel from Google and Facebook. We were running ads across all those channels. So just to think about this, um, like the analogy I use typically is, is what we're trying to do is create digital gravity, right? Mm-hmm. So with gravity, it's like, how do I create gravity? I create more mass. So it's the mm-hmm. same idea. When I make content on the internet, I'm making more digital mass and that mass creates more gravity. So I have more influence in the sphere around me, right? So I get more people touching the brands, more people in orbit, and the more people touching down and actually making that purchasing decision. So again, first thing we did, we spun up those ads. And then the next thing was like, okay, cool. We need to go and basically find all these customers. Like we need to start developing relationships with these customers. And again, since it's medical, they're constantly like they're high purchase, you know, they, they're uh, high income earners, right? So they get marketed right. to more often. It's more right. competitive to get in front of them. And so what we ended up doing is we scraped all of the URLs of every company uh, that's in our target customer in the US. We went to Google Maps, extracted all their URLs, and then we used tools like Hunter.io, phantombuster.com, uh, and Apollo.io. And what those do is they allow for you to look up all of the emails that are associated with those those companies. Um, so we found basically like every employee's email, every every person's there, and uh, like cold email still works really effectively. But the really the power of cold email gets amplified when you're sending them uh, some type of long form media that allows them to get in relationship with you. Podcasts are a great example for this. Yep. So that's mm-hmm. what we did. We ended up spinning up a podcast called the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. It's now like a top 10 medical podcast in the US. But uh, that podcast, we'd actually cold email it to all those people. And then we would see that, oh, they would spend every week, you know, like listening to this podcast. And, you know, when you think about like somebody listening to you for an hour a week, every week, right? They're mm-hmm. getting in deep relationship with you. And this yep. is different depending on like the company, right? So I'm talking in the B2B world. Um, it's way different when you're doing almost like a, uh, B to, uh, like B to C, like where it's like, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm a medical clinic that's, uh, advertising to patients. Right. 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 You can use the same strategy, but it's just different, you know, j- different execution. And I'll talk to that in a second. Um, but we took those emails. We also put them into all the, uh, ad channels and we created what are called customer match lists. So it finds all of the people of those emails on those platforms. And then we ran the uh, clips from the podcast to those people as well. And so then they would get a cold email from Adrian, who's a sales rep from us. And they're like, oh, I've heard of you guys, right? Like I listened to your podcast. I've seen your clips way more receptive to that initial conversation and that sales uh, process. And so then from that, we took all of that media and we chopped it up into all these different forms. So for Instagram, uh, for TikTok, for YouTube Shorts, for YouTube, et cetera. And we basically use that one piece of long-form content that we did on a weekly basis to do our entire 
marketing, like content marketing strategy. So it's like, I could, you know, we could have our host sit down for an hour and uh, that would produce all the content we needed for all the channels that we were doing distribution through. But again, to circle back Amazing. around yeah, to kind of uh, like how to grow things quickly. I think the biggest thing is again, just doubling down on like what is working. So like we right. saw Google ads was super cost-effective in the early days. And so we deployed, you know, like millions in ad spend in the first six months uh, just <laughs> because that marketing arbitrage existed for that moment. Mm -hmm. um, what I always kind of preach is like, there's moments in time for all, mar like all arbitrage. It's just like the markets, right? Like how do you do a yep. trade and make money? Sure. Sure. Um, it's because there's this arbitrage that exists. In that moment, you have the ability to capitalize on that, but it's not going to be there for forever. So like right now, a huge marketing arbitrage is like TikTok SEO, um, especially if your brand is like a bar or like, uh, you know, say it was uh, like a beauty salon or something like that. Right. Uh, all the search traffic for like bars near me, Denver, um, is going away from Google and going to TikTok and Instagram and YouTube shorts. And so if you're, you know, a, a family business or even an HVAC company or any, any of these types of companies, um, there's a huge opportunity. People are looking for local services on these, on these places where uh, there's like a human and a face attached to it because there's more trust in that. They don't really trust like these search engines in the same way that they used to when it comes to those types of businesses that are local and in their community. They would rather hear, you know, directly from uh, the owner of that bar that's in their sure. neighborhood sure. Uh, to discover it rather than, you know, some random person on Yelp that they like nine times out of 10 is a bot, you know, in their mind. Yeah. And so, but so let's talk about certain businesses that this might not work as well for. Yeah. So companies that, uh, companies like mine, you know, that maybe are very personal services businesses that people want to get a referral from one of their buddies who worked with them and had a firsthand experience. Um, I mean, can you, if it's a, a family law firm, a, a business consulting firm, um, something that's very, maybe a financial wealth manager, is this going to work as well for those types of, of people? And I'm I'm not talking wealth manager like a Fisher Investments, which is doing massive yeah. advertising anyway, right, on, on um, conventional media. But I'm talking about an individual wealth manager, a, a family lawyer who deals in divorces. These are very personal purchases for people. Um, people who hire me, uh, I think the the easiest sale is when they've talked to a friend of theirs who had a lot of success with me. Now, I can put out a lot of content, podcast, email, marketing, automations, Google ads, but it's not going to have the same resonance. And so our, my simple question was, are there industries that is not going to work so well with that you can categorize? Have I just done that a little bit with my examples? I think I think there are. I mean, if, of course, there's probably things that just don't make sense, right? Like any company where it's like you're trying to market to like 20 people, mm -hmm. <laughs> probably a, a cold call is going to be way more effective than getting a podcast in front sure. of them. But right. to use that example as like a wealth manager, I actually think it would be like super effective, right? So like when you're making a financial decision, like you're trying, like that's one of the most trust-driven decisions <laughs> that, that exists, right? 100%, right? And so, okay, imagine you're a wealth manager and you interview couples about like their, you know, what's happened uh, over the last 10 years with their finances mm -hmm. and talk about like, you know, going through the Great Recession or whatever. And you make content like that and then distribute it to your community like, here's this, again, just to use a podcast as an example, here's this podcast of me talking about, you know, it, it could even just be uh, like insights into like 
tax related things like what's a section 179 and like how do you like buy a car with your LLC so that you're not paying tax on it right right like, and I mean an angle that you could go from is like this is why people buy G wagons here's <laughs> the tax reasons right 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 <laughs> um, exactly and I think something like that like you know on a local scale could create a ton of inbound for you uh it, it, again using that that wealth the same thing on the law like the law side um you just I could see lawyers just telling stories, you know, not using names, but just right. very vaguely saying, hey, X, Y, Z happened. Here's how we got involved. Here's how we helped them. And that creates this narrative arc, right? That, yeah, again, builds trust with those people. Um, I, I We're think not seeing it yet, though, right? I mean, obviously, PI uh, uh, attorneys that are out there. They, they're on the new, they're advertising, spending tons of dollars. Totally. But I mean, I don't think I've ever seen an ad from a transactional or a litigation or business securities or, you know, corporate attorneys or accountants for that matter. I mean, they just do those stayed basically in the local business journal or they're in the, you know, book of lists or they're spending their money sponsoring, you know, offline events. I don't see them in the online marketing world unless they're a B2C kind of a play. Totally. I think the thing with that is like they look at it like they don't want to give up their secrets. Um, so I, I worked with this medical clinic and for them, they were like, we don't want to talk about this stuff because it's like proprietary knowledge and all this. And I'm like, listen, if you just <laughs> even give a tenth of what you actually do right. and put it in public, you will get so much inbound because there's no one else doing it, right? It's blue ocean. Yep, and yep. I think that's the thing that like a lot, especially professional services, they're really focused on like keeping all of this information tied to the vest. But mm -hmm. people are, are, are really used to getting all their information from online sources anymore, right? Like what's the first thing you do when you're trying to learn something? Like you right. go Google it, right? <laughs> 100%, absolutely. And, and so I think, I think with that as like, you know, context for this, I, it, to me, it, it feels like they're like, it, it, again, if I was doing what you just described, like in the law space, I would 100% get clients on shows and be like, talk to me about your business. Tell me all the things that are happening, blah, blah, blah. And then distribute that within the business community. Even if you're just like, because it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship, right? Like that business suddenly gets media attention. Like, mm -hmm. of course, that CEO will come on and talk to you. Right. You get deeper relationship as a lawyer with this business owner, which probably will turn into a lead or uh, they'll refer one of your friends through that word of mouth that you were talking about a second ago. And then the byproduct as well is, OK, I have this media that I can now distribute to everybody that is educating everybody on this other business that's in our community. So it creates you almost be, you, you you turn yourself into like an information node within your network. Understood. And that trust is then uh, applied to you. Right. So even though you're not even educating the people on the thing. So say it's a business that's like doing, um, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a law firm and uh, the con or the uh, business you're talking to is again, uh, like a, a home builder, right? Mm -hmm. So that home builder is talking about their world, even though you know nothing about home building, just by being the one that is distributing that knowledge, people are going to associate all of that knowledge with you because you're the one that just, uh, that is distributing it. And so okay. they're like more and more trust and that that compounding like cascading effect occurs. That makes sense. Let's talk about, you know, the let's talk about owned versus non-owned channels. Let's sure. explain <laughs> what the difference is, because I know you do know it and why one might be better than another for uh, a business. Yeah. So I'm a huge proponent of thinking about marketing like it's a financial portfolio. 
Mm-hmm. So in the early days of financial portfolio, majority of your income is going towards rents and food and these survival, you know, whatever my base necessities, maybe 20% is going toward lo- towards long-term investments. Okay. As you mature as, and the reason for that is like, it's just survival, right? Like if I put all of my money into long-term investments and don't feed myself, it doesn't matter if <laughs> I have a million in a bank account, if I'm dead. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's the same idea with a business. So when a business is young, investing in these short-term uh, transactional type of marketing techniques. So this would be paid ads. Right. So this would be unowned media. Right. Uh, that is going to make the most impact for your business. Cause it's like, I have to get revenue now so that we can pay the checks tomorrow, you know, pay right. the expenses tomorrow. Right. As the company matures, typically we see it around like a three to five year mark. Um, but as it gets to that five-year mark, then we can start to think, okay, cool. What are these long-term investments that I can start investing in? Maybe that's SEO. Maybe that's um, you know some type like uh, social media channels that I own, et cetera, newsletter lists. And uh, at that point, I'm starting to think, okay, how is how am I uh, putting 80% of my marketing into long-term owned media assets that are an asset to the business that nobody can ever take away from me, right? Nobody can ever take your email list away from you. Nobody can ever take your podcast subscribers away from you. Right. Um, but that, like, I can give you an example in our business, Swell, but, that's happened in the last year. So we, but, but can they getting, take your TikTok account away from you? I mean, if that if TikTok those, is something, right? Totally. Right? So or Facebook can, or Instagram or any, right? Hundred percent. Okay. And so there's some platform risk with those. Um, right. I always tell people like, have you know, have a you want a diverse portfolio, just like your financial portfolio, where it's like, if this evaporates tomorrow, you're not dead, right? I want like at least two to four things that are driving inbound leads to my company. And just Um, by definition, are those owned? You didn't call those owned channel. Those are, there's a non-owned channel. I I would try to have both owned and Um, non-owned. So like owned in my mind, and again, this is a gray area, like you can own an Instagram account with 100k followers for your, you know, your restaurant chain in in Boise, Idaho, right? Right. Or Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's an owned channel. Instagram could take that away from you at some point, but you still kind of own it in a way. Okay. What's a more owned channel, like on the spectrum of owned versus not owned, like an email list is more owned, right? Right. Or um, your website. Exactly. Right? Or your okay. website and like your SEO. Those are own, those own channels that like they can't be you mm-hmm. know, pulled from you um, like just at the whim of, of, of that you know, social media network, et cetera. Um, in contrast, like on the side of non-owned media would be like paid ads where, you know, Google ads as an example. Um, a great example for this is uh, like lawyers. So like back in the early 2000s, uh, if you were like a DUI lawyer, you could get like 10 cent clicks for like DUI lawyer Denver, right? <laughs> now that same click click costs $80, right? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And so, and you know, and even more real world example of this is when we first started Swell, um, we were bidding on keywords and we were getting about 15 cent clicks. And so we were getting $2 signups. Fast forward, it's a year later, and we're still we're it's the same keywords, <laughs> the same ads. And we're paying $15 per sign up in comparison to two, right? Wow. So that is like a part of why you build this owned media. So in the beginning, yep. it's like, okay, we dumped all this money into the non-owned media because we just had to get our initial traction. Mm-hmm. But now we're investing more into, okay, how do we do SEO work? How do we build a massive email list? How do we create a YouTube channel that's educational about you know this type of product? And transitioning over to that. Um, 
So for, you know, the family owned businesses, like what I, if they've like stagnated, what I would suggest for them to do is go do uh, some type of like transactional, like non-owned media to begin with. So like paid ads, sponsored newsletters, et cetera. And then do that, uh, uh, like have a, a certain percentage of budget that's focused on that. And then start investing in these long-term things. So what you're going to see is that initial bump, right? So it's like, okay, cool. We're get, we've, we've built this momentum. And now these long-term investments, as they take time to mature, uh, they'll start to pick up that slack of, of that paid ads. But um, in all reality, though, on like for local businesses in particular, like you can run Facebook ads incredibly cheaply if the media, like if the ad is right. Mm -hmm. Like again, we uh, with this like medical clinics for the, that my family owns, um, they we do like it's like a video ad that's 30 seconds long that just talks about the pain points. We see like 25 cent link clicks on that. We run it to like every woman in a every woman in a geography. Right. And it has like an educational component in the video. So it's like they feel like they're learning something and then they click on to go further. Uh, but those ads have been running for like the last three years. They haven't been changed. We just found like a good thing that resonates. There's this great quote from the founder of Les Schwab. And he's like, I use the same advertising every winter for 40 years. And that's what made me a billionaire. <laughs> and it's, okay. it's, yeah, he basically like had this like snow's coming, like get, get all season tires so that you're like, you're ready for ice and, uh, and ready for snow. And then, you know, that was basically like their whole campaign. And he just did that indefinitely. So, I guess the idea, like Ogilvy says this a lot as well, who's a um, like a you know one of the most famous uh, yeah. marketers and just copywriters, and he's like a one like one good like good line from uh, like good really well written rhyme for copywriting. Yeah, uh, that can change the company's trajectory entirely, and then you just double down on that same idea until <laughs> you know <laughs> it, it, for forever basically, and so. Anyways, yeah, just brain dumping kind of random knowledge. But that's that's really great. Good, All right, so let's talk about AI and a little bit about your company. So obviously, AI is the incredible melt up in the stock market, right? And it is the talk of the town. Average people now know what Chat GPT is. Um, totally. I've actually used it in my business to help with some blog writing or content writing. So. And you've just experienced like a tenfold increase in the cost of what you're doing with your AI. So how, let's talk a little bit, maybe gives the listeners some perspective on how it's transforming the way businesses and individuals create and distribute content. And can it do the Ogilvy, you know, secret copywriting that, you know, or is, that you just spoke about it? Can it bring out the genius you know, that those one liners that you can still remember, you know, whether it's 30 minutes or or less or it's free, you know, or um, when E.F. Hutton talks, you know, people listen. I mean, these are famous lines that carried some of these companies and, and changed the trajectory of these companies. But can AI do this? And, you know, so tell us a little bit about how AI yeah. is transforming businesses. Yeah. So I think for a lot of people, how they've interacted with AI so far is they have like tapped into the general knowledge of the AI. Right. And mm -hmm. so um, uh, a large language model is just trained on everything <laughs> that it can find on the Internet. Right. Um, so what I always uh, like try to uh, emphasize is that it's going to be very average, like on intentionally. Right. It's going right. to write to the bell curve. Right. Um, the real magic with AI comes from 
when you give it source material that is unique, that is from like a special, like a specialist, uh, uh, sorry, a specialist or uh, some like industry expert. So to make that more concrete as an idea, um, if I tell the AI, hey, write me a blog post, uh, like, you know, content marketing for hotels, right? And it goes and it writes this kind of like average mediocre blog post. Maybe that ranks, maybe it doesn't. Um, but in contrast, if I went and I interviewed five people that were the best hotel marketers in the world, and then I took those transcripts and I said, okay, AI, here's your source material that you can only work from. I want you to use your general knowledge of how language works. But now I want you to write that blog post about content marketing for hotels based off of that source material that I provided you. And you're going to see that the output that it creates is going to be 10x better than that average thing that it wrote. Interesting. And so this is where I think this is all going personally. Um, so the like we saw this happen where all, all these companies spun up that were they were like bulk SEO writers. And so you give it a list of target keywords, like goes and produces like a thousand articles in three minutes, right? And then it's on your websites in five minutes. Um, so we, if that draft horse AI is that, that's like what we built. And we, we built it as an internal tool for Swell AI first. And then we spun that out as a separate company because people were asking for it. Mm -hmm. um, but with Swell, like what we're really focused on is, okay, how do we take this insider knowledge, right? So you... For example, you have people on this podcast, you interview them. There's all of this knowledge that's trapped in that conversation. How do we extract that and then turn it into something that fits your uh, like tone, style, and voice? And it's in the form that you want it to be, whether it's a LinkedIn post or a blog post or a newsletter, et cetera. And so um, what I would uh, like tell people to think about AI as is like it's really good at doing the heavy lifting. Like if I wanted to write a book, like, for example, like how to win friends and influence people, um, what they did is they went and they interviewed like hundreds of business owners. Right. And this was in like late you know, 1800s. And uh, then they basically took all those conversations and over like a three year period, they organized all of that information, pulled out the core ideas, built out a like a, you know, a book uh, outline. And then they actually wrote the book. That same process, all that heavy lifting. That can be handled by an AI now, right? You could have those hundred conversations. Yep. You could then take that huge corpus of information of those transcripts and say, okay, AI, I want to write a book about XYZ topic. Here's the title. Write me an outline. So it writes this extremely detailed outline based off of that source material that you provide. You then make those changes that you like to the outline. And then you say, okay, now write, you know, chapter one of this outline. It goes and writes that based off that source material. Um so this is where I think this is all going to go is that for, and it's different for like small businesses, like for them, it's, it's, it's less, uh, I think the opportunity for them is the cost of content production has gone basically to zero. Right. Like if I wanted to go get a blog post written, that was say I'm an HVAC company and it's like, uh, HVAC services and XYZ location. Um, like whatever the small town is, maybe there's a whole area that you service that would cost me a hundred dollars to get a good article written. Now I can get that same article written for like 50 cents. <laughs> right. And so it's like, okay, well I, now I'm just going to go instead of only writing 10 articles, I'm going to write. And we just, uh, we worked with a company helping them do this where they, uh, they were a cremation service. Uh, so mm -hmm. they would like help like basically like, uh, like end of life, um, uh, uh, like, that whole process. Right. And so for them, they were national. 
and they wrote blogs uh, for every city in the US and it was like cremation services, XYZ location, publish that to their website. And then that creates all of this inbound traffic, right? And so traditionally, if they wanted to go do that, it would have cost them like a million five. And we ended up getting it out the door for them for around 20 grand. And like, that's the kind of arbitrage that exists right now when you employ these tools at like, when you think about them as like, oh, this is just like what I was doing traditionally. Um, that's yeah. like, what, what parts of that process can I give to the AI? Those heavy lifting components that were like, you know, very human, uh, you know, uh, like time <laughs> required, like from a resource standpoint. Yeah. What I keep telling people is like, you focus on good inputs, you focus on good outputs, that middle section, that 80% that's in the middle, that's where the AI can come in and help do uh, the automations of that process that you're already doing. Um, just a tangent for a second, like my friend runs this company that all they do is like automation engineering. Um, so yep. they go into like real estate firms and they're like, cool, show me your whole process. And now I'm going to try to automate everything that I can in this process. And like he, I had a call with him two weeks ago and just to catch up. And he's like, yeah, we just like automated 65% of this business's processes by just connecting like Airtable, Zapier and like chat GPT, uh, like all together yep. to basically take all this paperwork that people were doing traditionally and, uh, you know, automating that. And now the human, all they do is they just like look over the final result. They do, you know, they dot, uh, you know, they dot the I's and cross the T's, make sure it's good to go. And then that goes out the door. But, um, that's that's kind of the that, operations that, opportunity. That's that brilliant, and and probably a question on some people's minds is, um, does this destroy jobs or create new jobs? And I mean, right? We always know that like the phoenix rises from the ashes, and we have to. If we're the optimist, we see. Well, this is just a change, but I'm sure there are some people. Maybe they're older or not adept at learning some of these new things, and they're worried that they're going to be losing jobs so i'm I'm kind of curious to know if yeah, yeah. in that automation process you wonder if there was new jobs that were created different jobs that were created jobs that were eliminated and look this is the nature of of growth in industries i mean right that we used to go to into a bank many years ago maybe before you were uh, old enough to to know this and you'd actually do all your banking in front of a teller and then they they looked at these these drive-through uh uh, they started creating drive-throughs, and eventually, you know, the ATM machines like popped up everywhere. And you know, lo and behold, like then you get the drive-through at the Starbucks and at the food place. And those did those didn't quite eliminate jobs, but all the bank teller jobs went by the wayside. And so, I think this yeah, is I something think, that some people are concerned about. I would think. Yeah, I think it'll generate. I mean, just so I studied economics in college, and like every technology, like technology change, what happens initially is you have this disruption, just kind of the shaking up of the market, and then naturally people like fall into their next like career roles. Mm -hmm. um, I think with this technology, the like what we're seeing happen is it's making people superhuman. So like if you have an A, you know, like an A plus player on your team right. that was do like ten x better than everybody else. Like as soon as they get AI in their workflows, like they're a hundred X better than everybody else. Wow. So uh, I think that that is like the bigger like force that's that's starting to happen. Right. Um, so we we hire a lot of offshore teams uh, to uh, like help on uh, on the swell AI side, specifically mm -hmm. on like the customer service uh, component and some like marketing uh, roles. So for them, and actually even like we're starting to do this on the engineering, like software engineering side. So like, 
five years ago, I couldn't hire these people because they're okay, but it's not like the quality or the level that like I have this, you know, this standard and expectation that I'm holding to. But now when I augment them with AI, they're suddenly in that top percentile because they can give like the same level of service, like whether that being like, we built like a chat bot for our customer service team. So like when weird questions happen, they can ask that chat bot questions and it like gives them back inf- like information about the product that then they can go and like tell the customer about. Um, so same thing on the marketing side where it's like, okay, maybe their, their written English isn't perfect, but now we can have AI like do the final pass and we use Grammarly over the top. And, you know, it's, it looks like it's a native like writer that went to, you know, <laughs> Yale or whatever. Right? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. So I, I think, you know, to, again, reiterate kind of our view, what's happening now is that the the people that are good using this uh, are going to become like 10x better or 100x better than they were. They're just going to be so much farther ahead. So I think it's more important than ever to hire really, really quality people. And then the other side of it is that on the lower end, you know, on the, on the less uh, specialized workforce labor, for those types of people, you can basically like level them up so that it's at this this kind of quality or standard level um and you know pay the, the prices that, that you were traditionally like that that are less than what you would pay uh for that that quality of person so that's right. kind of the arbitrage moments and i i think it's going to make more jobs honestly i just i think that i'm with you i'm with it's going to make more that. gdp just in total right I, like more I, business is going to happen because of it so I agree. All right. Um, hey, this has been a great conversation. I want to ask you a final question, which is, as people are thinking about hiring someone like yourself, you're obviously enormously bright, you're very successful, and you have scaled some incredible companies. But these people might not be able to hire or afford someone like you. What are the key things that they need to be looking at when either hiring someone like you or you know someone lesser in their in their quality or expense you know how do you know how do you how do you find the a players in this agency space yeah so i think uh i I would never hire an agency for for stuff um i would hire a freelancer yeah um typically they just have more buy-in um yeah and that freelancer i'd have them be self-taught because like no digital marketing i've ever no good digital marketer i've ever met is not self-taught right um like again i studied economics i have a friend that's like a random psychologist and like you know that's <laughs> we somehow ended up working at these these we just like numbers right we're like data junkies so that's mm-hmm. i think one way to do it the other way is like if you're gonna hire for example like an offshore team like maybe they're in brazil or they're in the philippines focus don't try to get a generalist like get a specialist and like we talked about earlier where it's like pick one or two channels maybe it's google ads and again you know seo content so i would hire two separate roles somebody that specializes in google ads and all they do is live breathe and eat google ads and somebody that specializes in seo and all they do is live breathe and eat seo um and get them at that cheaper cost because finding that like unicorn person everybody wants them they don't yeah, exist they don't and the exist. ones that do exist they're you know <laughs> quarter of a million a year right to engage with them Great. Um, or Great they advice. went and they like the best digital marketers go and start their own companies so you have to like find them when they're like 20 to 22 years old and they like have knowledge but they don't have capital and they're you know <laughs> they're kind of in that limbo stage before they go and start their own company and so that that's what I would say for uh, you know finding those individuals that are going to be you know provide value to your business. Um, 
another piece with it too is just like create that north star so everybody knows what is happening like we're trying to create re revenue at this business you're this google ad specialist like what are the things that you're doing that creates revenue and then how do i uh how do i basically have like a dashboard or some way of analyzing your work that they can convey like okay cool like making <laughs> we got this many leads goal. this month that turned into this amount of opportunities etc um, so creating just that clarity internally of like, this is what you're measured to now go figure it out. Right. And then hire fast fire, fire faster of yep. like, if yep. they can't, you know, if they're not like, if they're not getting up to speed quick enough, like go to that next person and, and find that next person. That's, that's right. something I think. Yeah. Cody, we're going to wrap up great advice. Uh, Cody Schneider from Schneider media. I love the advice of following one or two courses until successful. My coach taught me many years ago that focus is an acronym that stands for follow one course until successful. The problem with too many entrepreneurs or ADHD individuals is they try and follow too many courses. I know from experience, it doesn't work well. So Cody, it's been great chatting with you. I learned a lot. I think this is great value that we shared. Folks, you know the drill. If you got some value from this, share it with others, like it, give it a good rating on your listening podcast application of choice, and stay tuned for future episodes of the Disruptive Successor Show. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Thank you for joining us on the Disruptive Successor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, review, and share with a friend who would benefit from the message. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Disruptive Successor, go to DisruptiveSuccessor.com.